I love the smell of commerce in the morning. Why are we at the mall? Listen, we just spent an entire season hanging out at Quick Stop on the Jay and Silent Bob Minute, and I thought we could use some new scenery. But why the mall? It has everything we need. A cookie stand, a magic eye poster, and Stan Lee. It would be better if Batman was here. Ben Affleck is here. <sighs> I guess that's close enough. If you've enjoyed this witty banner, please join us this season on Jay and Silent Bob Minute as we discuss Kevin Smith's mall rats. Snoochy boochies. We will figure out why this original opening exists, why Shannon Doherty keeps changing outfits, and why that kid is back on the escalator again. So join us for all the chocolate-covered pretzels you can eat. On Jane Silent Bob Minute on Dueling Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Sydney Bristow from the TV show Alias. Joining me for the discussion is returning guest Virginia McAllister. Welcome back, Virginia. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, so, <laughs> Alias was created by J.J. Abrams, and it starred Jennifer Gardner as Sydney Bristow, who is a double agent acting as a spy for an organization called SC6 while she's really reporting to the CIA. That's just your pilot boilerplate I can't even give a description of where this goes. Right. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the pilot, sorry, we just ruined it yeah. for you. I, the pilot is a really strong two hours of television, though, I, I have is. to say. Well, yes. uh, rewatching that for this discussion, um, I was like, oh, this this was really good. And this is early J.J. Abrams' um, work. He wrote and, and directed the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see some beats that you start to say, like, okay, that's that's J.J. Abrams, like, throwing some seeds to be picked up later, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but I thought it was really well done. However, we're discussing Season 1, Episodes 12 and 13, which are called The Box, Parts 1 and 2. These were written by Jesse Alexander and John Eisendrath, uh, and directed by Jack Bender. This two-parter tells the story of McKenna's Cole, who's played by Quentin Tarantino, attacking the SD6 headquarters. It's very odd to see Quentin Tarantino playing a character <laughs> in an ABC spy show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, and just seeing him on screen rather than knowing he's the one behind the camera, right? Yeah. It's just, but it's lots of fun. He does have a presence so, on yes, camera, yes, like he does. like his profile and his face, and he he's, he's a good actor. Like mm-hmm. like he delivers everything that you need uh, from this character, this performance. But uh, uh, there's also still the part of you that's like, that's Quentin Tarantino. I know. <laughs> like, 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 like he, he's so big a figure in, in pop right. culture that's hard to separate. But this. he does bring with it like this, what's he going to do next? <laughs> you yeah, know, kind a, of feeling. There's like a mad charisma there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, do you remember when you first came to the TV show Alias? Were you there when it started airing? I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah. I watched it when it first came on, mm-hmm. which was, what, 2001? 2001. Yeah, yeah, it ran for so, five seasons, 2001 to 2006. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure I watched it as it was on network TV or, you know, I... I think I don't know if TiVo was around at that point, or we were recording things. Or, I think you know, we were recording needed. on VHS then. Yeah, so. <laughs> but but you know, definitely trying to watch and keep up with it as it was airing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
from from the best I can recollect, I was also having a baby at the time, and you know, so my memories are a little hazy, which might explain why this feels so fresh now. Going back and rewatching it now, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I had a baby and was a little sleep deprived, and you know, things like that. But yeah, but I, I remember watching it, you know, while it was airing. Mm-hmm. So. so I I was uh, in Mexico on a warming mission when it started airing, so I never saw any of the first couple seasons uh, when when it was on. But I remember getting back and you you in particular praising the show which is why i wanted you mm-hmm. on on this episode to come talk about um alias um and i think my memory is that you got it on dvd because i was able to binge it pretty quickly i think you had lent it to me um on dvd or somehow i got access to the dvds and binge through it uh the first couple seasons i think at that point were on I, it was still airing um you know it's it's later seasons oh, man watching tv is so different now than it I was know. then <laughs> it's just <laughs> remarkable the way we have to talk about it <laughs> It's hard to remember back to the point where everything wasn't streaming or on demand or just yeah. at the touch of a button, right? Yeah. And there it is. Well, like even you said, like, I, you know, recording it on VHS, like setting the program on the VCR. Well, like, my kids have no sense of a time slot. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, that's just, it's an alien concept because it's like, ah, oh, the show's on whenever right. I want it to be on. Like, yeah. I remember even, like, when I was a kid, like, you, you got home from school and you raced through your chores and your homework so you could get there to the TV by 4.30 to watch Batman the Animated Series, you know, or, or Tailspin or whatever it was. Like, right. if you, because if you weren't there, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you missed the show. You're going to miss it. So. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just uh, that one generation. <laughs> well, and it's hard to remember when all the advances in technology came along to help facilitate, you know, uh-huh. like when did TiVo come along and <laughs> things like that. And, you know, when when did different stages of advancement come along so yeah. that suddenly it was a little different your viewing options uh-huh. <laughs> it's like it's that. funny i've been watching um early seasons of survivor which you think would be timeless uh but in the first season they do video messages from their loved ones they don't do the loved ones visit mm-hmm. on the island it's like okay you get this five minute video of your loved ones and it is a combo tv vcr and they slide in a vhs <laughs> Season one. Pretty sure that was 2001, too. Yes, it was 2000. Or 2000. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that was right about the same time. Because I do remember watching that. (laughs) You'd think Survivor would be timeless, but. When they show technology, it does age it across yes. the 20 years that it's been on, on TV. Pretty few other things have changed <laughs> yeah. or advanced, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're uh, we're talking about Alias, which, um, as far as trivia goes, first, let's just acknowledge the cast on this show. So great. <laughs> so so great. you have Jennifer Garner, who is very famous actress, got on, a lot of success. Uh, you also have in a side character role, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Uh, Academy Award nominated actor and uh, director now. <laughs> Was this his first major role? I, I'd have I, to go I, into IMDb. I don't remember anything from him, it, but... <laughs> I also didn't remember that he was in this until I started rewatching. And, <laughs> and I said, "Wait, that's Bradley Cooper. He was in this." So I watched the pilot with um with with my wife Emily, and she doesn't remember ever watching the show. And it was on, you know, we're just watching it, and she's like, "Wait, is that Bradley Cooper?" And she's right. like, "Oh, he looks so young." I know. <laughs> but then you also have Victor Garber, who looks the exact same as he does in his roles now. <laughs> like he hasn't so aged in fabulous. twenty years, and and he is just amazing in his role so as Jack Bristow. Um, you also have Michael. Vartan, David Anders, Amy Acker, uh, Terry O'Quinn shows up in later seasons. Like, this is a really well-cast show. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many of these these 
you know, actors you still see on TV shows or in movies movies now. Or in the case of uh, Jennifer Gardner in, in commercials all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I already noted J.J. Abrams wrote and directed the pilot uh, for this. He is um, credited as the creator of the series. He co-wrote several episodes in season one. He came back as a director in and a writer in season two. And I saw, um, I think, his last time on the show, uh, like, like credit on the show as, as something active was as a co-writer of an episode in season three, um, mm. which I think explain some things kind actually. of mirrors my experience yes. with the show. <laughs> so this is a spy show with so many twists and turns that eventually it feels like it, it's pretzeled itself narratively mm-hmm. uh, is my memory. Um, like I, going back and watching the pilot, it is such a good pilot of television and watching these two yeah. episodes. I'm like, Oh, this really was amazing that first season i remember loving the second season and my memory is that season three was all right and then i kind of petered out my interest Mm -hmm. in seasons four and five um but that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of season like revisiting season one at all yeah um uh should we should we describe the plot of the pilot sure (laughs) we need the background information I, i think we need it so uh, we're kind of told that Sydney Bristow, Jennifer Gardner, uh, we see her as a grad student, but then we find out she's a CIA operative for this um, subgroup of the CIA called SD6. Through the course of the pilot, we find out that SD6 are really bad guys. <laughs> They're not working for the CIA at all. They're actually founded by a group of spies from the KGB, the CIA, uh, Interpol, that all flipped and formed their own secret spy organization. Uh, however, to add, and, and this is what I think is really successful about the show in terms of the drama that it's able to maintain, like her partner and everyone outside of the leadership of SD6 believe as much as she did that they're working for the CIA and that mm-hmm. they're the good guys. And so when she discovers that SD6 are really the bad guys, it's not like she can go kill everyone, you know, or, or take everyone out. Cause this is filled with good people who think they're doing noble work, just like she was. Um, and the pilot, she decides to, uh, flip and become a double agent for the CIA after she realizes that uh, SD6 are the bad guys. And we meet her handler, Michael Vartan. <laughs> What's this character's name? How Michael Vaughn. Michael Vaughn, right? Yeah, they, a big stretch there <laughs> <Yes>. in name <laughs> change. <laughs> uh, and he hints that there's another double agent in inside of SD6. And at the end of the pilot, we find out that her father, who she has had just had a strained relationship with, we find out he's a spy working for SD6, but he is the double agent that's really working for the CIA with her. So this fractured, broken relationship that she's had with her father, um, now they realize that they are the moles <laughs> of the biggest bad organization, and they can only trust each other, even though they barely ever speak to each other. And so there's a lot of human drama that gets layered into the crazy spy action. And I think the show for a network budget does a really good job with the spy action. Jennifer Gardner and her stunt double <laughs> do, yes. a, do, a, do a really good job. Fantastic. A few times it gets a little male gazy because she's always doing costume changes into her right. next spy outfit. And it's like, mm, did we have to see her do the costume change every single episode? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, overall, I was surprised how well this holds up for something that is, at this point, pretty much 20 years mm-hmm. on. Um, yeah. Like, the action doesn't feel dated. Sometimes when you go watch stuff from the 80s and 90s, it's like, oh, the stunt coordination... Wasn't quite there, but yeah. they, they were bringing a really good quality to all of this. 
Well, before we move on to the description of these two episodes, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support the show financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down new released films, we talk about trailers for upcoming films, and we also uh, give monthly updates on our fantasy box office game. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now on to this two-part story. story. Sydney Bristow just discovered that her mom was a KGB agent. <laughs> She's emotionally rocked uh, and decides that she needs to quit working for SD6. However, as she's heading in to reveal that she's going to quit, a heavily armed group breaks into SD6 and takes everyone there hostage. They are led by McKenna's Cole, who worked for SD6 years ago. Sydney and her father uh, are in an elevator heading to SD6 when the power is cut. They sneak into an empty room, like they go through, you know, there's always climbing through. (laughs) If there's a small opening, someone's going to climb through it in the show. (laughs) And it's also going to turn out that inside of that small opening is a very large and spacious crawlway. Where you can fit the people and the cameraman <laughs> yes. to film them. Uh, so so they sneak into an empty room in SD6 headquarters, and they splice into the security camera feeds to scout what is happening. McKenna's Cole tortures the leader of SD6, a man named Sloan. Oh, that actor is great. Oh, <laughs> Sloan. Yeah. So enigmatic. Like, you can tell yes. there's so much happening in his eyes, but right. you're never quite sure. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. um, and we learn that Cole was captured... After an SD6 mission, uh, he was tortured. He eventually broke and said that he worked for the CIA. His captors did not want to be torturing a CIA agent. So they actually, through back channels, contacted Langley. Um, and, however, the message came back that Langley did not know <laughs> this man. He was not one of their agents because, again, uh, he didn't know that SD6 wasn't working for the CIA. Uh, so the CIA disavowed any knowledge of who he was and he was left to be tortured for a while longer. Uh, now, though, he's happy to torture Sloan just because. But he also really wants to get into the SD6 vault uh, for... I'm not going to get into it, but one of the great MacGuffins in the series is any Rimbaldi artifact. Uh, There's this, what, 16th century alchemist, chemist, artist, (laughs) renaissance man, prophet, prophet, yes. Da Vinci, basically. Da Vinci, yes. But, but with more like hints at supernatural. Yes. (laughs) Right. Uh, and so this is a spy series with that superhero, supernatural mythology, which again, that's a JJ Abrams, like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, stamp of approval on anything that is going to layer supernatural into a different kind of plot (laughs) simultaneously. Um, but he wants to get in and find this Rimbaldi artifact, but security protocols have begun, which means there will be a rather large explosion if the vault is opened. Uh, now, Jack and Sydney Bristow know about that, but Cole seems pretty unaware about <laughs> about the security protocols. Uh, Jack tells Sydney that there's a scrambling device in the lab in SD6 that would reset the code to the vault, so it couldn't be opened even if Cole got the code. So, not so much to keep Cole from getting what's in there, but to stop it from blowing up everyone that they know. Uh, they decide they need to go get this scrambling device. Jack plans to crawl through the air vents to go get the scrambler, but Sydney stops him, saying, I'm much younger than you. <laughs> And I'll be the one doing this. So she goes in and gets the scrambler and is able to use it on the vault door. Uh, though there are several spy near misses involved. Uh, the mercenaries realize someone is in the air shafts and are about to snatch, uh, catch Sydney when Jack shows up in the, in the air shafts and tells her to hide. And then he surrenders and comes out of the shafts. So they think it was Jack all along. That was one of my favorite little switches. Like, oh, that was that yeah. was well done. <laughs> um, and he leaves a note telling Sydney how she can go disable the bombs because these mercenaries are still trying to get into the vault. Uh, Sydney's SD6 partner, who thinks they work for a branch of the CIA, emails Langley, which alerts Sydney's handler that something is wrong. Vaughn 
immediately rushes out to SD6 as soon as he finds out something's going down there. Um, after many spice shenanigans, which these are all well crafted, but it's really filler mm-hmm. uh, at this point uh, to the main plot. Uh, Cole orders the hostages killed. Sydney saves them all. Cole gets into the vault, but Jack deactivates the bomb just in time. Cole escapes with the artifact from the vault, but he gets stopped by the real CIA agents and Sydney beats them up real good. And then he's captured by the actual CIA. Uh, the end. The end. Um, I, like describing all the, like there's a mercenary here and they shoot at yes. her and, like that, that's not worth doing. Just imagine a lot of good spy movie, spy action stuff, and and you've got a feel for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talked about doing Alias Virginia, I had said should we just do the pilot because there's so much table setting that gets done. And you said you want to jump ahead to these two episodes. What is it about these two episodes that that stood out to you as particularly good? Uh, for capturing the essence of Alias or mm-hmm. and or Sydney Bristow as a character. Yeah, so when we talked about doing Alias, I went back and I've been re-watching season one and, and like you said, felt like it held up so well, but I felt like the first episode is so much sort of exposition and and just introducing you to all these characters and we haven't even gotten into the Rimbaldi stuff at all, you know? And so it's, the story isn't really moving down the track so much Mm -hmm. as like, just, you know, setting up the train station, um, basically in the first episode. But as I rewatch the season, I really liked these, I think first, because it's a complete story arc where so many of the episodes end on cliffhangers. Like a new bit of like revelation. immediately right. have to go into the next episode. Or some of them are literally, it's a literal cliffhanger. Of, <laughs> right. You don't know if Life somebody's going to live and die yeah. in the next episode. <laughs> and so this felt like its own kind of complete <laughs> mini story. Um, but it was also a moment where a lot of character stories were shifting, like Sydney's relationship with her dad. Suddenly they have to really team work up together. Like they're the duo. And there's so much conflicting, uh, just so much conflicting feelings and stories in this, like, you know, at one point Sydney says, I can't believe we're saving SD6. This is the organization we're working so hard <laughs> To kill. And she was planning to quit. And I want to quit this. (laughs) And now here we are working together to save the very organization that we're working so hard to to destroy. Right. And and, and you understand. It's complicated. It's so so many complicated motivations. Mm -hmm. And you see Arvin Sloan, like, you hate him. So one of the things you didn't point out about the initial episode is that Sydney tells her fiancé... I work for the CIA. Um, they monitor communications and find out. And that was rule number one is you never tell anyone mm-hmm. who you work for. Um, you just, you're not, you know, you absolutely don't tell anyone. And she tells him because she doesn't want to lie to her fiance. And Sloan finds out that she's done this and orders her fiance to be killed. Right. And this is before and, you and know so that's the bad you organization. Just see Sloan <laughs> is like this evil, evil incarnate yeah. guy. You know, the, and and just the villain of all of mm-hmm. this. But you see him in this episode being tortured and you feel for, you know, that he's he's sitting there being tortured. And in, at the end, he has Jack cut off his finger to, to save SD6. Uh-huh. Like, that's the only to way. To save all the lives. To decons- they need to the stop fingerprint. the bomb yeah. is they need the fingerprint and he's locked up and he can't get out in time. So he says, cut off my finger and take it and go deactivate the bomb to save SD6. So it's like it's just full of so much well, good conflict. And even and, when and we fun. first see Sloane in this, 
um, he's trying to get his wife's doctor on the phone. And, like, we're not told what exactly is going on. Right. But you see, like, he's legitimately concerned about the love of his life. Right. Uh, you know, right before all this. So, yeah, like, it's, there's these humanizing aspects. Yeah. And, um, again, I think w- my favorite part about the premise of the show is that she, all her part, like all the lower level people at SC6 think they're the good guys. So right. she has to go rescue them. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, that's, that's not even a choice for her to say, well, let them, like if they, if they all thought they were the bad guys, she's like, well, go ahead. Because like Cole's motivation is largely Sydney's motivation. Right. <laughs> like I thought I was working for the good guys. I was tortured and found out I'm not working for the good guys, which is what happened to Sydney in the pilot. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. You know, she, she gets caught and tortured, finds out she's not working for the good guys at all. Um, um, and and now she becomes a double agent. And so this episode, like, we don't approve at all of Cole's methods. And we're showed he's a bit unhinged <laughs> when he Mary. when he accidentally yes. shoots one of his own own people just in a fit of rage because he, right. he, he's kind so... of some PTSD happening yeah. there in that moment. Uh-huh. And, and he just goes and shoots one of his own people. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, so, so and Quentin Tarantino definitely does a good job of playing someone who's on the edge. <laughs> yeah. So he has that kind of Joaquin Phoenix yeah. Yeah, right, like where you just feel there. like generally he's just walking the edge, you know, <laughs> and you just don't know which way he's going to fall yeah. in a scene, you know, and, and so he he definitely brings that energy to the show, which was so fun. But yeah, like you said, this episode does a really good job of, like, making you feel how these characters are pulled in so many different directions mm-hmm. and all that straining and why Sydney wants to quit, <laughs> you know, because like, yeah. this is your everyday life, is well, oh, like and- this level of... of um like multiple motivations. Yeah. And and that was the other thing, right? In the previous episode, you had just found out that her mom was a KGB agent who killed her handler's father. (laughs) And they're both learning this in a room together at the same time. And, you know, you see them kind of figuring out how to deal with that, Mm -hmm. you know, but it, it brings them together. You also see him, see her asking her handler on a date, you know? And so you realize there's a romantic attraction between handler and agent, which obviously is a huge (laughs) no-no. And you do see, see Vaughn's character start to get in trouble or start to be questioned about his motivations at the CIA and saying, you're too emotionally attached. And then um, not just, her, you know. not just that he's becoming too emotionally attached, but like he violates all the protocols by going white knight to rush into SD6. Right. So you also <laughs> see the CIA helping to save SD6. Yeah. <laughs> which is just, you know, so the, the writing to get to that situation where you have so many conflicts and, and, you know, motivations and competing motivations going on all in the same episode, I thought was really well done. And, um, you under like as a viewer, you're not confused. Like I think it'd yeah. be so easy to get lost in this, um, and and like have to like pause and reset, and, or have characters like monologue about exactly what's happening to explain. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of trust in the viewers, and the writing is is well crafted enough that you don't ever feel um, lost. Like all all these twists and turns do land. Like I said, I think in later seasons maybe it gets a little <laughs> a little mm-hmm. too convoluted. It gets a little too yeah. wrapped around itself. But here it is firing on all cylinders yeah. uh, and, and telling this really fascinating and well-executed spy story 
but with all those human elements mm-hmm. that are really the underpinnings that make you care. Like Sydney and Jack's relationship is just fascinating to watch. And and yeah. Victor Garber. So good. What a range He's he so has good. as an actor. Like I think every time I see him, I'm happy. <laughs> Whenever I see him on screen, like, oh, this is gonna be a good performance. I just right. trust this, this is gonna be a good, good scene. Yeah. He's in it. <laughs> I feel like he needs more like recognition as an actor. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> he's still going and he's still doing great work. Um, but in the pilot, he has uh, an opening monologue when uh Sydney's fiance calls to ask permission uh to mm-hmm. to ask her and he just his delivery of these lines where he's like have you met my daughter why are you calling why are you me? calling me like would she have any interest yeah. in my uh, opinion uh, of you know what you have to say or, or yeah yeah and he also calls out like the archaic traditional mindset <laughs> yeah, as right. a romantic gesture that's happening right now so this could be a funny story at some cocktail party <laughs> you know yeah uh he's just so um deadpan deadpan but charismatic i don't know how you pull that off like that is a really hard combination because he's often delivering his lines in monologue or in monotone Mm -hmm. you know in this and with very little um like facial emoting Mm -hmm. but there's still so much emotion behind the line delivery i I don't know how you find that point (laughs) as as an actor um it reminds me a bit of, like, um, when Richard Schiff plays Toby in The West Wing when he's in his quiet oh, modes. yes. Like, he swings to the loud, but when he's in his quiet mode, like, he's almost, like, whispering his lines of dialogue, but you just feel tension mm-hmm. and energy, like, is yes. coiled in these in these words that are being delivered so calmly and smoothly. And that's what I get from Victor Garber as Jack Bristow. Yeah, I agree. And I love, I love his performance as her dad, where, you know, he's not... Oh, I love you so much. And, you know, let's reconcile. But things like going into the tunnel to make the switch so that, you know, he's doing it because he loves his daughter. You've never once heard him say, I love you, Sydney. He, you know, he's not but, emotionally demonstrative in that way. <laughs> point, you know, absolutely why he's doing what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, and so he's kind of like he lets his actions speak. Yeah. For what he's feeling rather than having these, you know, great mushy monologues uh-huh. with her and, you know, coming from a non-mushy family. I can really appreciate that. Yeah. You know? and, and I think it's interesting. So, like, key moments in this episode are both um, Jack sacrificing himself for mm-hmm. Sydney there. And then also, like, Vaughn rushing in, kind of white knight attitude to try and save Sydney. But at no point does she feel like a damsel in distress. No. Oh, no. <laughs> like, Sydney well, Bristow is not. She's pulling a gun on him. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, who are you and why are you running into here? And then she realizes who it is. Yeah. But, um, but it is, I think, also the first time we get to see Vaughn a- act as not spy, just the right. handler. Yeah. Right? He's behind a desk but, a lot. Oh, he has some skills. He knows how to use a gun. He knows how to disarm a bomb. Yeah. He, you know, so you get to kind of see him act not just as the handler in the suit in the dark alleyway, you mm-hmm. know, talking to Sydney. You get to be reminded that there's a reason why he's in the position he is at yeah. the CIA. You know, that he has some skills and he has some background mm-hmm. that you don't know. You know, so you kind of get these insights into him that you haven't really seen before, which yeah. I think made his character a little more interesting mm-hmm. um, at this point. Um, yeah, so I thought he, that was fun. He's largely been a that. desk agent, and yeah, this is where you basically. see him as a field agent. Right. right. And, and so you get to see I, – I think it's the first time you see him with a gun. You know? And he's, he's confident. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is confident with guns in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there's um, some fun uh, 
undercutting of the tropes of spy uh, of spy spy stories where like you, you get Jack Bristow kind of gonna, I'm going to do the hero thing and crawl through it and she's like dad I'm I'm younger I'm more fit I'm going to do yeah. this uh you get uh the moment where they're trying to disarm the bomb and they're like oh that's a really tight space and and um uh, Michael says, like, I have really fine hands. <laughs> like, I, or uh, very steady hands. Yeah. And she's, well, so do I. And yeah. she goes and pulls yeah. the trigger. But, but there's also, like, acknowledgement that he kind of has small hands to get into there, too. <laughs> like, like there's that as well. Uh-huh. Like, like there's, this isn't the burly spy, well, and, you and know, like the, the he, James Bond kind of spy. Doesn't you know? he, he's the one who pulls out, like, is it, you the, know, the bre- ma- breath freshener you got spray? To see the lasers. He's, like, spraying it to see the lasers <laughs> rather than, you know, typically you'd see the girl pulling yeah, out some, some perfume. Sort of thing. Yeah. And he's the guy, but mm-hmm. he's the one pulling out like the breast spray, you know, yeah. to do that. So, uh, so I loved that that flip. Yeah. You know, where you're st- you're not taking away from her or making at any point you feel like she needs to be rescued mm-hmm. in this episode. You know, I, I never which, got that feeling. Which once. I mean, she does get captured several times. Right. <laughs> but again, but you still never feel like she's she couldn't handle herself and get out of it. Yeah, like she's know. lost her agency. Even right. a, you know, yeah. you feel like she's working to get out of the situation. She's not waiting to come be She's be not the rest. damsel in distress, yeah. you know. The, uh-huh. Yeah. Um and then there's um the I, what is the name of the the tech guy? Oh, Marshall. Marshall. I, I just want to recognize Marshall. that actor. I, I he's not as famous like he's, he's not as famous as the other ones, but he's another great piece of the mm-hmm. ensemble in this and he gets a couple moments. Um so like when Jack is uh, splicing into the cameras, he he makes one of the cameras blink uh, Morse code and, and Marshall's right. the one who who spots it. And Mar- Marshall's yeah. gadgets are, are are the ones. I just want to recognize Marshall. <laughs> so as I'm like running through the episode, I'm like, "Oh, Marshall." Uh cuz he is um I, I mean, it is definitely leaning into the stereotype of like the Q figure in, yes, in James Bond. Very much. You know, this is yeah. exactly what this guy. You know, this guy is a little socially awkward. Never would never be out in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, loves his gadgets. That's that's his world, and that's that's all he knows. Yeah. Um, but it it definitely works uh, w- within this universe um, of Alias. Uh, w- if we were going to try and nail down like a character sketch of Sydney Bristow, <laughs> what we could do, and I know. Off the top, this is going to be difficult because the entire premise of the show is double identities. Right. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and she's the one who's putting on an alias every single episode. She is doing a new accent. She's mm-hmm. a, a new color new hair, language, new, yeah. n- new, um, clothing and also a different way she holds herself. So she mm-hmm. feels very transformed. So I, I think yeah. Jennifer Garner does a really good job, uh, with that. But if we're going to try and nail down Sydney Bristow as a character, besides uber competence. <laughs> right. Well, but that's the thing with her uber competence. They certainly don't show her without imperfections, right? She can be reactive mm-hmm. to situations. You know, like in the in the pilot, yes, her fiance was killed, but when she's, you know, kind of choking Sloane, he mentions it's your fault he was killed. You broke the rules. And there's a lot of other instances where you see her act very impetuously um, and not thinking through the long-term consequences of things. Um, so you definitely see her as a flawed character. Mm-hmm. They do not try to present her as uber-confident in everything or, right. or competent in everything. And even as and she's- And like at the beginning of this episode, you see both Vaughn and her dad trying to talk her out of this idea of quitting SD6. Like, this is going to get you killed. You're not thinking this through. She's just thinking, oh, but Sloan likes me. He's not going to kill me. <laughs> he would. <laughs> yeah, like in real- and all of us are going- 
yeah, he would kill you in a heartbeat, girl. You know, like, uh, what are you thinking? Um, but you, but it shows her not thinking that through. Mm-hmm. She doesn't think through long-term consequences quite often. Yeah. And that's definitely one of her flaws and one of the reasons why she needs, like, her dad or a handler, you know, or... Or, or her partner. What's her partner? Par- Dixon. Dixon, Yes. Yeah. Or Marshall at times. You I know, love Dixon. She, she does kind of <laughs> need them at times just to sort of bring her back down to earth and mm-hmm. and stop her from acting on some of her more uh, destructive impulses at times, yeah. you know, or things that could lead to bad consequences down the road. Um, but beyond that, I mean, super, certainly they show her very smart and, but also conflicted. Like she's still in grad school. She doesn't kind of know what she wants to do when she grows up. You get that sense about <laughs> her quite she, often. She's holding that like four different major adult roles. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you still get a sense that she doesn't quite know who she is. She feels like she's transitioning. Which is so. why she can play all these different roles. Mm-hmm. Why she can be a dear, different alias. Because I don't think she knows who she is Because you don't get that feeling point. at all from Dixon. Her, right. her partner who's older. Um, and, uh, yeah, like he's, he's a spy. He goes out in the field with her all the time, but you don't feel like he's in that kind of liminal stage between identities. Yeah. It's just, this is who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, and he has a, he has a wife. I don't know if he has children, but he he seems to have a very stable home life and just, he's accepted. This is who I am. And, and this is my career. And, you know, and you definitely have that tension for Sydney of, she just isn't settled in mm-hmm. this life and she doesn't know what she's what she wants to be. Yeah. Um, and in mentioning that she's like super confident competent at, at everything she does, it's not like she wins every fight. <laughs> like Cole beats her up initially. Right. Uh she does get yeah. the last hit in. Yes. <laughs> you know. Uh in the end. But like she she loses fist fights at times. She gets tortured in the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she she, she gets caught. She, she gets caught. Times. Um yeah. it's it's not like she is um, you know, the Superman in a world of mortals. Yeah. Um she's facing off against other spies who are trained and you get some really good fight sequences, uh well mm-hmm. choreographed and against respect to those stunt doubles <laughs> yeah. that, that do a lot in this show. So um, I, I think the show is being, um, in a lot of ways, deliberately feminist in, in casting Cindy mm-hmm. Bristow as this character and, like we said, subverting some of these expectations. But it doesn't go to the point of, you know, she's... Yeah, I, I hate this term, but like the criticism of a lot of female characters is they're, they're, they're Mary, Mary Sue, who, are, who just do everything perfectly. You know, yeah. she, she, she's not She's not. not. No. <laughs> no, we see her flaws and we see you know that yeah not everything goes perfectly every time you know every mission doesn't go perfectly she screws up she makes mistakes you know hopefully she we see her learning from Mm -hmm. them but she certainly can be very impetuous very strong-willed you know about certain things very stubborn at times you know that i'm right you're wrong and she has to kind of come around and see that oh, maybe there's things I don't know and, mm-hmm. you know, a larger picture that I'm not looking at. And, and like, um, I can think of versions of, of characters similar to Sydney Bristow, both male and female, where, like, okay, they get captured, but you get this, like, there's this confidence oozing from them that yes. this is all part of my master plan. I know exactly how this is going to go out. When she's captured, you feel like she's going to get out of it, but she's figuring out how right now. Right. Like, yeah. she, this is not where she wants to be. And, yeah. and there's versions of spy characters that are just always one step ahead of everyone. That is not Sydney mm-hmm. Bristow, um, even with all the praise for her skills that we're saying, you yeah. know, she she gets into tight spots and has to look around and be mm-hmm. um, 
you know, uh, 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 you know, work with materials that she has at hand to 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 get out and those, those yeah. kinds of things. I will say on the flip side, you know, while there's certainly the flaws, I think her greatest strength that they really show is her care for people. Like she's unbelievably loyal to the people that she really cares about. Her friends, uh, I mean, her roommate. <laughs> again, them. the we we've totally forgotten about the side um, story <laughs> that is. The Bradley, the Bradley Coopers. Co- Bradley I, I, Coopers I left it out of, of which, the summary. <laughs> like, but it's just, I, I hate to say it. It just is like a forgettable <laughs> character and side story. But um, but she's very loyal to her friends. She's very loyal to her coworkers who she knows, you know, they think they're doing the right thing. And we see this in th- this episode, you know, where he says, I'm going to start killing the hostages unless you come out whoever you are that's because mm-hmm. she's been going around beating up people and killing you know well, killing and, and not just physically but Cole's like people. out thinking her yeah his and, people and he says all right unless you come out they start dying in 20 seconds and she turns herself in immediately doesn't mm-hmm. even like think about it because she cares you know mm-hmm. and so i think that's her biggest strength for some in some characters that might be a weakness for this type of genre mm-hmm. but they make it a strength for her which i really appreciate you know that they give her that really strong attribute of just her loyalty and and caring and devotion to people over an agency or a mission like if mm-hmm. it was the agency she'd just say blow it up right but she cares about the people within the agency so i think that's definitely one of her greatest strengths um, that she has yeah and oh I, I like i'm just thinking again about like the position that the writers have put this character in where like the obvious thing or, or, or like you you know she would want to tell dixon hey they're not <laughs> they're not cia but because she's a double agent that's really trying to take down all of sc6 which is more than just this mm-hmm. one cell that she's a part of she has to maintain <laughs> yeah. the the cover and keep going on the missions with dixon and not try and clue him in at all uh to, to what's going on and you i again it's just a marvelous job done by the writers to like make all this apparent and never make it feel like that that door is the door that she should be going through right now even mm-hmm. though you understand she wants to yeah yeah it's uh, it's kind of a fascinating show when you start to like pull apart these threads and like mm-hmm. see the web of interpersonal relationships, um, with with Sydney at the center always. Like she is yes. very much the center of this show. This yes. is, I, I, we mentioned there's a great cast, but this is Sydney Bristow show. Yeah. Um, and- <laughs> I was just thinking of when when Cole, the Quentin Tarantino character, realizes it's Sydney. Is the one in his reaction to realizing it's a girl that's been doing, you know, creating all this mayhem and since somehow I thought you were going to be some ugly guy, you know, and, and so just seeing his but, reaction. But I think that's the point, mm-hmm. right? Is that, yeah, a girl can do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's deliberate. And then also he like, he gives a whole monologue about like, I asked you on a date and you stunned me. I don't think you even remember our interaction, which right. kind of like gets to like, even now, 20 years later, like some ugly sides of, mm-hmm. of gender culture stuff online yeah. and the way people, people talk about it. But I don't think it's, it's like an insensitive comment to have it coming out of Quentin Tarantino right. character's <laughs> mouth. It's like, somehow oh, it works. Yeah. Th- this is. <laughs> This is a character who would get angry about that, and it's a problem that he gets so angry and and still remembers it years later, and is so like personally angry at her, right, for not going on a date with him. <laughs> and she says that I I don't really remember you, you know, yeah. like she, you know, and so it's not something imprinted in her mind that oh this agent was paying attention to me and asked mm-hmm. me out, you know, yeah. 
But it is, like, the rejection is for yeah. him. But again, this isn't, like, saying, like, oh, this is a humanizing motivation for him. It's like, it's saying, oh, no, this is an unhitched character, and this is a really bad character trait that he has. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that he's carrying this grudge. Right. <laughs> for, for so long. Um, anything else about these particular episodes that you want to make sure we, we touch on? Oh, yeah, we uh, we didn't touch on the side stories, but I don't feel the need to kind of go there. <laughs> oh, with Bradley Cooper, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I feel like he, like he's always giving a good performance, but his character just feels um, that story just feels kind of forgettable. Tangential. He, he's kind of trying to find out about SDC. He doesn't realize so he's, what, he's his character's a reporter. He works for yeah. you know, and and so I think at some point in the story it becomes more. He, Interesting, he gets but, but he does have a lot of screen time in these episodes mm-hmm. on that side story that we just... But it, it's one of those B stories that, like, doesn't have resolution. So right. for, the, for the summary, it didn't really make yeah. sense to dig into um, what was going on there. Again, like, he has a great performance. I feel like his character's a little bit of a puppy dog towards Sydney, and so mm-hmm. uh, at least... Maybe that's what makes him kind of forgettable. At least know? in this point of the story, you yeah. know, he like, his plotline isn't elevated to the significance of, yeah. uh, um, of, of the A storyline. So it, yeah. it does feel um, a bit unnecessary, mm-hmm. uh, even as I'm saying, yeah. like, Bradley Cooper, like, when he's on screen, it's like, I'm interested. It's just when I'm trying right. to, like, think about the plot, that kind of that falls character. away. That character, yeah. Um, and I I do love the end of, like I said, I like that these this is a, a complete arc, that there's really one story happening here with this character, Cole. I don't know that we ever... S- see him again i don't mm-hmm. think so so this is like the beginning and the end of his character but you know we get to the end of the episode and he's been taken into custody like you said he's had the worst run i've ever <laughs> oh, seen quite intense, you know as an actor <laughs> oh my gosh his so, run is so awful. he has a couple moments <laughs> like multiple times in these episodes which are directed to the same person there's tracking shots of characters walking down the hallway and the camera backing away mm-hmm. uh and when he's doing a stern angry walk it's like okay there's a lot there but the, when he does great. when he does a run it is one of the most awkward runs i've ever it's, seen it's on, t- so on television yes. i i couldn't I, like even as i'm watching I'm like was there not another take of quentin tarantino <laughs> running full speed because it is a weird looking run oh <laughs> well, you know so you have that scene and then sydney knocking him out uh-huh. you know kind of in payback um but just that last i think the last scene in sd6 is very poignant when everybody is kind of getting over the shell shock of sd6 having been invaded you right. know and, by- and again for most of these people this is america was just attacked right exactly you know, you know and but there's a scene of just Sloane like looking around and Sydney asks or you know are you okay and and it's almost tender even though she like hates him but she still felt protective of mm-hmm. him by extension you know because she felt protective of everyone else and and he says no and, right then right. right and he's just like no you know we're not okay this is not okay what just happened and and you have the scene with her and her dad where i think she reaches does she reach out and put her hand on his shoulder which is like the first time you've seen them in a, touch each yeah, other in, in an kind of feel, kind a, of contact a father yeah. daughter you know so it there were just all these really poignant scenes at the mm-hmm. end that were very emotional without saying much. Yeah, there was a um, lot of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, from characters, which again, in the spy genre, not noted for emotionally right. vulnerable yeah. <laughs> uh, characters. So it is, um, you know, uh, tweaking the formula of what a spy story is going to be um, in terms of centering this family dynamic and a lot of these interpersonal relationships that Cindy Bristow is going to have. And then 
not so much in this episode other than the MacGuffin being the Rimbaldi artifact. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also going to tweak the the spy genre as a show by layering layering in this 16th century supernatural aspect. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think they also brought up that this introduces a new group that we had never been introduced right. before because we know SD6, we know the CIA, we knew SD6 had a, a kind of nemesis in the K-Directorate, but they point out None of these, Cole wasn't working for any of these groups, so who was he working for? And he was well funded. (laughs) So while it has its own story arc, it kind of sets up the second Mm -hmm. half of the season of, okay, who was he working for? What's this group? What's their agenda? You know, they're an enemy of all of everybody else, you know? So it it does kind of make the enemy of my enemy is my friend, where the CIA and SD6 are inadvertently working together in this episode. To try and figure out. And then they have to figure out, you know, what's going on and what's the larger plan. So, and that group of mercenaries was very deliberately international. Yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you, know, you had the is... Irish accent, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. looked kind of IRA, and then you had the what the the woman that was actually a British it's, double uh, agent yeah. or something like. Yeah, there was that. a double agent inside the group of mercenaries. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you found out <laughs> the one that got killed by Cole, you yeah. know, going off. So, uh, it was a interesting group. Yeah, <laughs> um, to you know, bring into the mix. And, but like you're saying that yeah. that as a foil, that both SD6 and the CIA are going to be concerned about. Like you don't really have Who's, a whole lot to go yeah. on to. Who are of, these like, guys? Oh, this this isn't the KGB, you know, or you yeah. know, this is not an immediate like um, nationalistic group that you can yeah. identify because of who the mercenaries were made up of. Um, I did also want to quickly point out. I, I think I made allusion to it, but Cindy Brister does a good job of like outsmarting the mercenaries, besides mm-hmm. outphysicaling them at times. Yes. Um, like there's uh one time where one of the mercenaries is looking for where she's hiding, and she's actually tied up another mercenary and put him in a locker. <laughs> that, that mercenary oh, gets right. shot, but it's because she like planted. I can't remember what it was that she planted, but something that was making a little sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they assumed that that's where she that she it was, was her, hiding. and it was instead another mercenary. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like she's just. Kicking and punching and shooting her way through, she's thinking. Yeah, there's you know, strategy. You there's a lot of intelligence and strategic thinking. Yeah, in, in these moments, again, maybe not long term. <laughs> yeah, you know, she. I think she's very good under pressure. Yes, like and and in the the heightened adrenaline fueled. You know, it's just the the pressure filled moment, and it's kind of like when that goes away, it's like she loses some of that. <laughs> yeah you know, intense focus that lets her see through steps and mm-hmm. see through things, um, which is really interesting, you know, it, yeah. but I think it's a common thing that you see in, in kind of spy shows where they're really good under pressure and then you lose or, that pressure and, and you do just kind of like lose a little bit of, of what makes them so good mm-hmm. under pressure. Or it's like, a um, it, it makes me think of, I think we talked about this when we did an episode on Katniss Everdeen and Hunger Games, mm-hmm. like in a battle, you want her by her side. Yes. <laughs> you know, by your side. Absolutely, 100% of the time. Talking strategy about what the long-term plan is for the resistance, she's no. not necessarily the strongest. <laughs> That's not the one you want. <laughs> the strongest figure to, yeah. you know, to be in the room. Everyone has their different strengths, right? Yeah. And, and so I think Cindy Bristow is a bit in, in that kind of a mold of, mm-hmm. like, in the room, right? Something's going bad. I want her right here, right yes. now. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, any final thoughts about Alias as a series? Um, yeah, looking forward to continuing to rewatch it. And I, I, I like you. I don't think I ever finished the series like all the way through the fifth season. Mm-hmm. I think I probably petered out in right. kind of the third. So it makes me 
interested you know go i like being able to go back and watch it where you can watch you know a couple episodes in a row you don't have to wait a week or then six months for a season finale or (laughs) you know to to pick back up so it'll be interesting to keep going but it feels fresh and fun re-watching it i've been amazed how like fun it is to watch it again so and again even if my memory is right, and it like really does peter off after the third season. The first and second season are so fun; it's so worth fun. it just yeah. to go watch those. Even if you end they up like saying, "Nah, really doesn't, it doesn't close it out," which yeah. is often a criticism of AJ of JJ Abrams' work. Kind of like it's a lost, lost and, feel um, and what was his other Fox sci-fi one that he had? I can't. It had all oh, of I know the one you're oh, talking about, I but I can't think of. But I, I, I know yeah. some people complained about like, "Ah, it kind of lost its way as it goes along." But man, can he launch something? He can launch a series <laughs> like so, no one else. <laughs> It, like, and I don't care if they peter out. Like, it's. I think sometimes we get obsessed with the idea of like having the complete story, mm-hmm. and things like Lost and these early episodes of Alias. Like, it is just fun to be there for just the ride. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. a really fun ride. That's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 136, when we talked about Chuck, or episode number 59, when we talked about Veronica Mars. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com, or us on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod, or at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Dizminute, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. All supporters on Patreon at any level. Eh, eh. Sorry, Andrew. I've done really well, but I just really botched that one.